Good morning, everyone. Don't worry, I'm not going to hit anyone with the bat this morning. Well, the weather isn't the greatest this morning, and uh, I guess maybe I should tell you, I pastored in Yarmouth 21 years, and uh, this is a new experience for me. The, the question of whether we'll cancel or not is new to me, because we had a no-cancel policy in Yarmouth. Uh, maybe the weather, winters aren't as severe as here, but the logic was simple for us. I lived five minutes walk from the church, I'm going, and I thought if I have the church open, if six come, I'll preach the sermon and sing to them, or we'll sing together. So this is a, a new thing uh, for me that we may or may not cancel. We'll do better, and of course we didn't cancel, but if we do, we'll try to have it on the church phone by 7 a.m. I suppose there'd be occasions where we'd cancel on Saturday if we really knew we were going to get it and just no one could move. Uh, We'll have it on the church phone and on social media and do the best we can by doing that by uh, 7 in the morning. So if there's some confusion out there as to whether or not, if, if, you, have, if, you, gracious, if you haven't heard, I'm falling apart here. Oh, my water thing is loose. I get up this morning, brush my t teeth, and a tooth fell out. I'm falling apart here, okay? We had planned baptisms today, and I think you'll understand we're not doing baptisms today, but we will schedule uh, a little later. Stay tuned. You'll hear about it. Uh, as you saw on the screen, we're in the Gospel of Luke during these winter months. And last week, we were at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry where he called the tax collector Levi to come follow him. And today, we're a little bit later, we're in Luke chapter 5, and dealing with the passage where Jesus calls the 12. Let's speak to the Father, and then we'll look to the Word. Father, as we've already prayed, would you uh, take our minds off of things that just now may preoccupy us, the weather outside, how will it be going home? and those kinds of things, and help us to really, truly spend this hour with you, listening to you, hearing you. And may we, as we hear your word, may we be ready to respond in the way that would please you. Be obedient to your word. In Jesus' name we ask it, and God's people said, Amen. When I was a, a boy growing up, actually in this neighborhood, we shared a, a daily routine. We would rush home, throw our school books in the door, and grab a ball glove and a bat if you happened. This is a lovely bat. We never had one anything like this. Usually it was a cracked bat, which we would then wind the tape around, kind of hold it together. We, anyway, you'd grab your glove, a bat, and a ball if you had one, and head for the ball field. Now, I call it a ball field. The ball field was right down here. It's now the parking lot for the government buildings here. And, of course, that was a cotton mill, and the railway tracks ran right up to it. Now, the ball field was in the corner over that way by Fisher Avenue. Now, I call it a ball field. There were railway tracks just behind third base out here. 
There were hydro poles in direct center field and bushes over in right field that if you weren't careful, you could get lost in. But that's where we played every day, sunshine and even in the rain from about 4 p.m. until dinner time. We always knew when it was dinner time because my father would blow the car horn. And that meant stop playing ball and head for the house, which we did. Now, we did that late April snow melt to early November snowfly. That's what we did. Now, when we arrived at the field, it always took five to ten minutes to get things started because we had to choose up teams. Every day we chose up teams. Now, it didn't take long because there may have been maybe a maximum if we got ten out. That would be the largest crowd ever. And when we showed up at the field, we would choose teams. If you did this, if you ever played sandlot baseball, you're familiar with this. We'd choose two captains that would almost always be the oldest kids on the field. And we would toss the bat. And when the uh, one guy got the bat, then you did the hand over hand. Each guy would put a hand on the bat and the last full hand which would be this one, would get first choice. And so then the choosing would begin. Now, of course, it always went like this. The person that has had first choice would pick what they considered to be the best talent in the pool. Pretty shallow pool with nine, ten kids, but that's the way it went. Now, it was okay to be picked first, It was okay to be picked second, but when you got down to, with nine kids there, four or five, that could be a little tough. It could be tough to be the last pick. I've been there. Have you? It's especially tough if when the chooser comes down to the very end and you're the last person standing there and the chooser says, all right, I'll take John. (laughs) Tough words to hear. Now, Jesus is a chooser, you know. So come with me now to Luke chapter 6, verse 12. The words will be in the screen, and this morning the verses are few. And so let me read it to you. Here we go. One day, soon after Jesus went to a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be apostles. Here are their names. Simon, he also called him Peter. Andrew, Peter's brother. James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, whom we talked about last week. Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, son of James, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. So there you have it. What do you think? You think Jesus is a good chooser? What do you think that a a modern management consultant uh, would say about the choices that Jesus made? Well, someone has actually written an article from the perspective of a modern consultant looking at the choices that Jesus made. And here's how it reads. Thank you. for It's addressed to Jesus, son of Joseph, Woodcrafter's Carpenter Shop, Nazareth. From Jordan Management Consultants, Dear Sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for managerial positions in your new organization. 
All of them have now taken our battery of tests, and we have also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. The profiles of all the tests are here included. It is the staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background education and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not have the team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience in managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel that it is our duty to tell you that Matthew, remember him from last week, has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, definitely have radical leanings, and they both have registered a high score on the manic depressive scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. We wish you every success in your new venture. Sincerely, Jordan Management Consultants. Now, it would seem then that Jordan Management Consultants don't seem to think that Jesus is a very good chooser. Maybe you think Jesus is a good chooser, but maybe you don't think he's a fair chooser? Let me ask you, do you ever think, do you ever entertain this thought that, that God chooses people all around you, but he doesn't really want, doesn't really need your services? Are you ever inclined to think that if God does choose you, it's like me on the ball field as a little kid standing there hearing the words, all right, we'll take John. Hear me this morning. No, God chooses you. You're right up there with his choice number one. But some of you are probably sitting here and thinking, Pastor John, we just read the scripture that seems to indicate that Jesus was quite particular. It would seem from this scripture this morning that he's fussy, that he's choosy, that he's even selective. And I take you back to verse 13, which reads, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be apostles. Well, I suggest to you this morning that those who made the cut, those who made the cut that were included in the 12 were ready and willing to follow. I suggest to you this morning that perhaps there were others that were chosen, but they declined. Luke 18 tells us of the story of the wealthy young CEO who was chosen Remember him? Jesus said to him, I want you now to get rid of all your stuff 
and then come follow me. But when the man heard this, Scripture says, he became sad because he was very rich and he went away. He wouldn't follow Jesus. His money, his, his property, his position were too important to him. My question for you this morning is that might he have been apostle number 13? You think? Hear me this morning. You, you are chosen. You see, to God, your availability is more important than your ability. Now, the main part of the message this morning, I'm not quite there yet, is to give you the why behind why he chose you and chose me. But before we do that, let me mention just two, notice just two things about those he did choose. Here's the first thing I would have you notice. I want you to notice they were ordinary men. They were ordinary men. Now, girls, ladies, here this morning, before you get in a little bit of a snit, before you get a little bit put off by Jesus choosing only men, think with me a minute. He was choosing those he had to live with, travel with, hang out with, sleep along the trail with, and, 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 and therefore, it ought to be obvious to all of us here this morning that those he chose, those original ones that he chose, had to be men. But what I want you to notice is that they were ordinary men. Not a wealthy man among them. Not a famous man. Not an influential man among them. Not one of them had any special education. Several of them had no education. These were men of the common folk like you and like me. It, it's as if Jesus was saying here, give me 12 ordinary men and I will change the world. And he did. The mission of Jesus, hear me this morning. The mission of Jesus is still not in the hands of people that the world calls great. Still today, the mission of the church of Jesus Christ is in the hands of ordinary people like you and like me. That's the way the story began, wasn't it? You, have you seen every Christmas one of the things we do in our house is to watch at least one time a movie about, I don't know, maybe 15 to 20 years old. And it's beautifully told story of the birth of Jesus Christ. And there's a scene where uh, King Herod the king hears of a king that's to come out of Bethlehem. He calls, he's familiar with the prophecies of the Old Testament. And see, he knows the king of the Jews, this king is going to come out of Bethlehem, and, and which would require all the people of Bethlehem roots to, turn, to return to be counted to their hometown, the census that was ordered by Caesar. And so Herod's thinking now. So he puts his soldiers at checkpoints to stop all of the travelers because he wants to find this king of the Jews and kill him. His instructions to the men who are at the checkpoints runs like this. I want you to look for someone kingly. Look for someone of means 
and importance. So here comes Mary and a, Joseph and a very pregnant Mary. They come to the checkpoint and hardly a glance comes their way. And why do you think that is? Well, there's only one answer. Too ordinary. Too ordinary. Hear me this morning. God loves ordinary. Aren't you glad for that? God loves ordinary. God chooses you. And God chooses me. The second thing I want to have you notice, and I'm still not to the main part of the message, but hang with me now. The main part of the message is quite short. Here we go. The second thing I want you to notice about those he did choose is this. They were a strange mixture. I mean, weird or what? Just, let's just stop a minute and look at just two of them. Matthew, Levi, we looked at him last week, okay? A tax collector, a crook, considered a traitor by his own countrymen. Because he worked for the ruling Romans and extorted, as we mentioned last week, extorted money from his fellow Jews, kept a lot of the money for himself, padded his own pocket, a rogue, a renegade, Matthew, chosen. Also, Simon the Zealot, a fanatical nationalist who was sworn to assassinate every traitor in his country. Did you get that? Here you got... Here you got Matthew, who considered a traitor, and Simon, who is sworn to assassinate traitors. And here they are, traveling together, eating together, serving together, living in peace. Now, if that isn't a beautiful picture of the way the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to work, you think? Yes. Hear me. God chooses you. Yes, you. In Paul's second epistle, when I was a kid, I thought an epistle was the wife of an apostle, but it's not, okay? An epistle is a letter, so Paul's second epistle is not his second wife, just his second letter. He wrote to the church at Corinth, and he opens the door wide with his God chooses you message this way. Those who became Christians, writes Paul, this is 30 years up the road now, those who became Christians, and that's everyone who will become a Christian, right? The whosoever will. Whoever became Christians became new persons. And God has given all of us, do you hear that? All of us the task of reconciling people to himself. We're all Christ's, and here's the word, ambassadors. We are all Christ's representatives. God chooses you. I asked you a few minutes ago. Now I'm asking you, do you ever think, do you ever Allow yourself to think that there's something about, that, something about you that perhaps disqualifies you from being chosen. Ever entertain that thought? Maybe it's your upbringing. Maybe you think you have some character flaw. Maybe there's something that you did back there in your past that you think that would eliminate me from being chosen for any service in the kingdom. Some, maybe you think you have some lack of talent or ability, and I say to you, no. Hear it again, no, hear it one more time, no, God chooses you. And now here we are at the why. Now again, I won't keep you long. I know you're thinking about, you're not really thinking about the weather, you're thinking about this, aren't you? Three reasons, here's why God chooses you. Here's number one. God chooses you first because he wants to be your friend. It's as simple as that. He wants to be your friend. These 12, before they were anything else, they were Jesus' friends, before there were anything else. 
before they had a clue who Jesus was. The 12, it was late into Jesus' three-year ministry before some of the 12, at least, realized this Jesus we're traveling with is the creator God in the flesh. They were his friends early on. They were his friends. Twice in John chapter 15, verse 14 in chapter 15, and then in verse 15 of 15, Jesus, alone with the 12, uses this phrase, you are my friends. He wants to be your friend. Isn't it interesting? Come on, think about that. Jesus needed friends. Jesus wanted friends. And if you read the Gospels through, three of the 12, Peter, James, and John, were closer friends of Jesus than the other nine, apparently. And then one of those three, that would be John, was apparently Jesus' best friend. And it was his best friend that Jesus turned to as he hung dying on the cross, looks down at John and says, John, take care of my mother after I die, after I'm gone. Someone defined a friend as the one who comes in when the whole world has gone out. Well, that would be John. He alone was at the cross. When the other disciples ran for the hills, John was there. Jesus wanted friends. Jesus needed friends. Think about this. Think of it this way. The creator God of the universe wants to be your friend. Isn't that an awesome thought? Isn't it? The lights are bright in my eyes, but isn't it? Thank you. It's been so since the beginning, you know. Since the very beginning, third chapter in of the Bible, three pages in, we read these words. Toward evening, Adam and Eve heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. Why was God, what was God doing out of his heaven and down and in the garden? Isn't that obvious? He came to visit his friends. You understand this? God created us not because he wanted servants. God created you and me not because he needed a hobby. God created you and me not because he was bored. God created you and me is not because he, not for his amusement. He created us mainly because he wanted friends. He wants to have a relationship with you and with me. It's true. Someone has written, there is a blank in the Father's heart until the last one of us has come home. God chooses you. And the first reason he chooses you is because he wants to be your friend. God chooses you. Are you in? Are you in? Say, I'm in. Oh, there's someone here? Yes, okay. Well, listen, it shouldn't be hard to say, I'm in. And especially for you veteran Christians, it's a lot like, amen, right? I'm in, amen, get it? So, Are you in? God wants to be your friend. All right, that's number one. Here's number two. Stay with me now. God chooses you because he wants to make you like himself. And I take you back to verse 13. He called together all of his disciples. Now, the word disciple means simply this. A disciple is a learner. Disciples learn about Jesus. But this learning goes way beyond learning about Jesus and learning about who he is and learning about his activity through history. You see, you understand this, don't you? This book, 
the scripture is not simply written for your information. It's written primarily for your transformation. Yes, the original disciples, as they traveled with Jesus those three years, were learning about Jesus. Of course they were. But much more than that, those original 12 were learning not just about him, but they were learning to know him. And as you learn to know Jesus, you know this, don't you? Some of Jesus rubs off on you. That is the way it works. This learning for them was deeper. They were becoming like Jesus. And for all of us who travel with Jesus, who follow him, he is constantly doing a makeover on you and on me. Isn't that a great thought? A little girl went to children's church one Sunday, and the children's pastor was on the subject of Jesus' disciples. Well, she didn't get the word quite right. And this little girl, when she got home, was asked by her parents, what did the pastor, what did the pastor talk to you about today? And she said, we learned about Jesus' samples. You know what? She got it exactly right. She really did. Jesus, <clears throat> Jesus is making us his samples. You a Costco shopper? Is anybody not a Costco shopper? My son is fond of saying I had to go to the dollar store, and then he said I had to go over to the $100 store. That's what he calls Costco. <laughs> Isn't that the truth, right? So, anyway, the thing I love about Costco is you can go in there hungry, and you can make a meal, if you're good at it, with the free samples. Membership is what, $125 a year? I can make that back in two trips. Just two trips there. And anyway, you know how it works, don't you? Well, I've become good at it. You kind of slow down when you go by the sample tables and you kind of look until they say, would you like a sample? Oh, you act surprised. And you say, yes, I'd love to have a sample. I've been there several times when I practically ate my way in one door and ate my way out the other door. You know the answer to the question I'm going to ask. Now, why do they offer samples? And you know it, don't you? There's a whole pile of products right behind them on the table or beside them on the table. Do you know why they offer samples? They're baiting you. Of course they are. They're baiting you. They hope. You're with me on this. I can see that you are. They hope that you like the sample well enough to buy the product. Jesus is making us samples for the world to taste for the world to taste and to be drawn to him. He wants to make you like himself if you'll cooperate. Will you? Are you in? Amen. Are you in? Amen. Are you really in? Good. God can do that. You know, that's what he does. Makes us like himself. John Grisham can take sheets of blank paper, write a story on it, and turn it into millions and millions of dollars. I got his new book for Christmas. Great read. Just finished it two or three days ago. Blank pages of paper and turned it into millions of dollars. That's talent. Bill Gates can write his name on the bottom of a little piece of paper you call a check and make it worth millions of dollars. That's capital. They say that Leonardo da Vinci could take a piece of canvas and paint a, paint a simple picture on it and make it worth millions of dollars. That's genius. 
But you hear me this morning. God can take a self-centered life. God can take even a wasted life. Well, let's go beyond that. God can even take a wicked life and wash it in the blood of Jesus Christ and put his spirit in it and transform it and make it like himself, and that is a miracle. Awesome. Yes, thank you. Give the Father a hand, yes. God chooses you to be his disciple because he wants to make you like himself. Are you in? Here's number three. We're down at the end here now. Stay with me. The third reason that God chooses you, so simple. He wants to send you out there. He wants to send you out there. And I take you back to verse 13 where it says, He chose 12 of them to be apostles. And if you, if you research the word apostle a little bit, here's all the word apostle means. The apostle is someone who is sent out. That's all it means, sent out. So originally, Jesus sent out 12 samples. Not very many, is it? But you see, you understand, don't you, that 12 samples that he sent out was just the start. And that's why, as we mentioned a few minutes ago, that Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he uh, reveals God's full plan which is simply this, every person who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ is sent out. And so in just a few minutes now, this service, this worship service will end and we will send all of you out of here as samples of what Jesus is like. That's the plan. That's why he chose you. All of us are ambassadors of the king. You know what an ambassador is, don't you? It's someone who represents. Canadian's ambassador to the United States represents Canada to the government or whoever he interacts with in Washington or wherever else. He represents Canada when he's away from home. We are kingdom samples by our words and our life and our deeds. And that's it. That's God's plan to win a lost, hungry, and searching world. God chooses you because he wants to send you out there. Are you in? Weak. Are you in? A legend tells of Jesus' return to heaven after he left earth when his work here was finished. And as the story goes, as he entered the gates of the celestial city, Angel Gabriel spoke first and said, Welcome back, Lord. Tell us of your plan to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. Responded Jesus, Well, I gathered 12 around me. I spent three years pouring my life into them. And then I left, and to them I entrusted the task of carrying the gospel to every person everywhere. And, and they will spread the word. And those who believe will tell others. And my gospel will spread from land to land, from generation to generation, all down through the centuries. 
Gabriel's head dropped. He knew what poor stuff men are made out of. And he said, but Lord, what, what if men fail to take the gospel? What if neighbors don't tell their neighbors? What if, what if parents neglect to instill the gospel in their children? Jesus, Lord, what then? And Jesus responded, I have no other plan. We're it. God chooses you and me. He wants, us, he wants us to be his friend. He wants to make us like himself. And he wants to send us out there. Are you in? Let's pray together. Father, I'm in. Father, I'm all in. May that be the heart cry of every person in this room, I pray. Father, what an awesome thing that you, the creator of the universe, look down and you see me. And you see each one of us. You know our name. You know where we live. You know about our mistakes and failures. And yes, you know about our sins. You know about our plans and dreams and wishes. You know all about our past. You know us completely. You know a thought before it's on our tongue, and yet you choose us. You want to be our friend. You want to do a makeover on us, and you want to send us out there. I, for one, and together, we declare I'm in. Are you in? Let's stand together.